0: hey evan what's going on kim
1: not much man just enjoying a nice halls cough drop i've got the uh cherry ones for throat soothing i don't need it but as we discussed off air mm-hmm. uh this is just this one's just a little treat it's left so i'm just enjoying it i'm just like I, sometimes you just get used to the taste of a halls after a meal you know
0: yeah so uh i uh, uh we were talking before and i had some um new jersey michaels for dinner
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um you know i ordered through the app the little the little app thing yeah and also uh, i just go in I pick up my sandwich it's already ready i just grab it and i'm walking out and i'm on my phone i'm texting you uh this is while i was texting you earlier and uh, also our friend who's uh hosting our magic draft yeah on saturday yeah just coordinating plans and uh, all of a sudden i just hear some dude and he's talking like this by the way he just goes Man, everybody's door-dashing these days. And he's looking, like, directly at me. And, like, we're outside the store. And I just look up, and I'm like, I don't say anything. And then he just goes, Everybody's door-dashing these days. (laughs) Just repeats it. And I literally just go, What? He goes, Are you (laughs) door-dashing? And I was just like uh it goes oh you you just pick it up i'm like y- yeah yeah he goes and he's like starting to walk away through the parking lot at this point but he keeps looking back at me to continue this conversation he goes yeah man everybody's <laughs> door dashing and i'm just Jeez. like I, i'm like i have my phone in my hands i'm not even sure what to say so i'm just yeah. at him and he goes you DoorDash, right i'm like uh yeah i've i've used door dash he goes when you drive for them this
1: is still the same guy? He's still just
0: yeah. going? Yeah, he's just keep going.
1: I'm like I just look at him, I go, nah man, I'm just grabbing a sandwich. See, that's <laughs> the thing about where you live, man, and I mean that shit can happen anywhere, but like yeah. I feel like where you live, there is this so, wasn't so much more where was this? <laughs> this was uh, this was in for Haven. Oh, okay. Well <laughs> I was gonna he say He was a he was a very New Bedford guy though. He he yeah. seemed like Yeah. Uh, this sounds like a very New Bedford interaction. I was just going to say, I feel like I've never had so many like unsolicited, unwanted <laughs> social don't. interactions as I've had when I lived or have spent time in New Bedford. Dude, yeah, yeah. You like, are dude. at least twice as likely to end up in a conversation <laughs> that you don't want to be a fucking part of. Yeah, if you're if you're in that in my city, city, yeah. You know, yeah, like no, in New no, where I live. Yeah. If you want to be left alone, it's pretty straightforward. You just you don't really make eye contact, and you just. You just go about your business. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I know. Where I live, you're going
0: to be yelled at about DoorDash, not have the chance to answer any questions, Yeah, and the person is just going to go through the well, whole conversation the is,
1: at you. It's not about you. Yeah. None of that was about you.
0: <laughs> you I, know? I said two words, and both of them were yeah. Yeah. To him. Right. Or or no, sorry, what? Yeah or what? Right.
1: Yeah, I mean that's crazy. And to think, like you're like, sir, I just want to enjoy this New Jersey. I can't Michaels even enjoy the sandwich submarine no. sandwich.
0: Yeah, I can't even enjoy this nice turkey sandwich
1: anymore. Oh, you want the turkey? I think that I think that that J. Mike's has the fucking best sliced turkey. Yeah, I on think earth. we've
0: actually literally talked about this on a different episode. Yeah, we which have. why I did want to bring this up now. We we're uh, a we're uh, turkey we're bacon, up. but you top it like it's an Italian. Add a little mustard, some pickles, but you know.
1: Yeah, I don't do the the, the bacon, but I... Yeah, uh, yeah. Same, same fucking thing with the hot relish and the... Oil, I got the oil and vinegar, but I also do mayo and mustard because it's turkey. It's I a don't sloppy do the, sandwich. Yeah, I don't, get the mine, I, I don't do the mayo. I do the mustard, but not the mayo. I get tomatoes on mine too, so it's a fucking... It's not a tomato. juice ball. You bite into that yeah. fucker and it drips.
0: It's a juice ball, yeah. I get a, I yeah, get that's a just drippy w- sub.
1: Wet dude. and wriggling. <laughs> yeah, one drippy turkey, please. That's like <laughs> yeah, basically what it is. Yeah. It's, it's a drippy... Yo- drippy cam's coming in he wants one of his drippy turkeys dude it's so good and i also i also get um the parmesan bread yeah of course Ugh. everybody gets the parm oh it's it, everybody gets the parm bread nobody gets the regular there j michael's parmesan bread is the fucking yeah. absolute best jersey miguel yeah yeah dude jersey <laughs> yeah. mike that's another one that i feel like like that and there's like a couple Salter companies. That I feel like we could convince Evan to take fucking corporate dollars from. If they agreed to let us say whatever the fuck we want, I feel like we could get Evan to agree to be sponsored by Jersey Mike's. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's not a no. It wasn't an outright uh, no. So... Uh, you could get me for Waterloo Seltzer.
0: Yeah. Polar, I would tell them to, to kick rocks. Um,
1: Polar's on the... I don't know, man. Polar's on the downswing for me. Really? Yeah... I, I pretty Not much no. exclusively do uh, Wegmans brand and uh, yeah. uh, Waterloo. I'm a W. Yeah. Water, Waterloo's a good Waterloo's, – Waterloo's on the come-up. You know on what I had down. today that I never buy in bulk, but I will occasionally oh. get a single of? I had one of the flavored uh, Liquid Deaths. The uh, severed I've ne- lime. I've never had any liquid death. It's it's fine. Any. Um, you know it's 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 way overpriced. The branding though is like so impeccable. It's like for guys like you and me Th- that no. seltzer exists because dudes. Well, like you and Well, especially
0: sober guys or guys who don't drink. Like sure. Well,
1: it's great. Like they'll have it at a lot of metal shows, so I can have yeah. a tall boy at a show and feel normal. Because it's weird for me to have both of my hands by my side when there's rock and roll playing. I I have a hard time with that. Yeah. I, I need something. I need one arm at a right angle holding something cylindrical. Yeah. That will end up
0: on the back of the guy in front of you. Yeah,
1: absolutely. (laughs) I need to be holding a fat cylinder and it's going to end up on the back of the guy in front of me. Yeah, Uh, I need to spill on the back of the guy in front of me. Oh my god. (laughs) My hot leavings. Um, So anyway, yeah. Oh, speaking of, we've got a fucking pretty metal April coming up. Yep. Yep. A lot of shows this year, guys. If you're metal fans, there's some tours coming around. I was talking
0: about with some of my uh, mufo's on Twitter today. A lot of a lot of metalheads in the uh, in the greater left on red community. But um, yeah, it
1: seems that seems like that would be the case.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, uh, we we got a dude. I'm I am so excited to see Creeping Death, Municipal Waste, obviously, but I think Creeping Death is going to fucking tear the place down.
1: Yeah, it's um and also Sacred Reich, who's like old yeah. school thrash they're from like that second wave like them and testament and like sacrament yeah. and there were a bunch of bands there a couple of the german bands like creator and whatever yeah um, sodom that were like that second wave of thrash you know after the bass scene exploded um yeah. and sacred reich i'm particularly excited about because they have this track surf nicaragua which yeah. is i've already decided is my summer anthem because in spring i'm going to nicaragua which is going to be really exciting and uh so it's your spring anthem yeah so i get to, i guess so but i get to see surf nicaragua before i go and surf nicaragua now whether or not yeah. i actually am able to stand on a surfboard <laughs> has yet to be determined you can boogie board you can boogie yeah but boogie boarding is like the number one way to get eaten by sharks and they are bull shark central down there so oh well, yeah know. they also have fucking yeah they have uh crocodiles down there too they got everything it's the straight up jungle yeah. and so they also have the one of the only like stable freshwater shark populations in the world because yeah. lake nicaragua is full of sharks and Fuck uh yeah. you know everybody knows bull sharks and certain other requiem sharks can kind of go back and forth but lake nicaragua has sharks just all the time and crocodiles and fucking yeah. volcanoes and you know i'm too much of a fucking suburban white pussy honestly to even be going be very interested in yeah so we're gonna potentially like like bore, like he sort of sled down him sled down volcano on. Oh, well, like oh yeah, a, oh, nice. That well, sounds fun. I don't know, man. It sounds pretty cool. Yep. But I'm I'm too lame for this kind of trip, honestly. But we're gonna do it. We're gonna go see, and so I figure I'll probably I'll try to get some recordings down there that we can maybe incorporate into the podcast if it's good. I don't know. We'll see. Cool. Um. So this is gonna be an interesting one. So I know not I really an episode. Few, what?
0: not really like a left and right episode
1: no it's not it's sort of a side project that i mentioned a couple of weeks ago um i've been working on uh, a dramatic reading of the sword and sorcery uh, anti classic uh, the eye of argon uh, by jim theus uh which is a 1970 uh piece of dog shit fantasy writing that's Super fucking hysterical, and so I've been recording that and putting some sound effects and music and stuff to that, and um, you know, Mm. I mentioned sort of releasing that in parts, and so part one of that is this week, we're going to record, well, it's already recorded, and so we're kind of just, we're bookending that shit. Um, But that doesn't mean the world stops turning, and I think there's a few things that we wanted to kind of talk about before we dive into that.
0: Yeah, like that freak outside Jersey Mike's.
1: Well, that was definitely, yeah. yeah. I think that was worth bringing up. I think that they need to know about that guy. <laughs> I I need somebody here.
0: Everybody is this.
1: Yeah, dude. Wouldn't be yeah. surprised to find out that that guy had like biggest a really fan. crazy story. That there's probably something really interesting about him. He's the biggest Left on Red fan. He's going to hear this. That would be very bizarre that would be really yeah. odd if like that if there was backlash to this yeah i mean he wasn't
0: a track suit so it's 50 50 he listens but that's fair do you think <laughs> we've got a lot
1: of tracksuit wear like i know we said we have a lot of metalheads
0: i mean we've got a track suit wearing host
1: yeah i mean yeah that's true yeah, yeah one of us does i won't yeah. say who but i
0: bet they can guess.
1: yeah <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> it's not me it's me, <laughs> oh, so, it's me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um so yeah uh i think you also wanted to talk about the fucking yeah so so when i mentioned the east palestine thing last yeah. week like
0: it was still just kind of like unfolding but uh so i should say this is something i at least know in the background something about i used to be the the uh hazmat manager for a uh, uh, for a testing facility, environmental testing facility. So I remember hearing about this, and when they said that there's vinyl chloride on the train, I was thinking to myself, I was like this is definitely gonna be some acrylates on there too." Vinyl chloride's used for like polymer production. Sure, it's like a precursor uh chemical, and sure enough, it's released this week that oh, it wasn't just vinyl chloride. There were like three or four other like pretty serious hazmat, um, dangerous goods. One of which was a uh, uh, hexyl acrylate. Um, which is, you know, highly carcinogenic. Uh, also used in the uh, production of polymers. Things like Teflon all that kind of shit. So, um, uh, this shit is still burning, by the way. Like, the pictures... There are still pictures coming out yeah. this shit. is still burning. It's still going down. Yeah, uh, controlled
1: the, release, right?
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I will say this about the EPA. You know, people talk about that the EPA is there and saying that it's safe. The EPA has uh, all of the exact same data that you get in like the eu and now you should ask yourself why is it that the eu is so much stricter about environmental releases and shit than the epa if they both have access to the exact same data i'm just saying just like every other uh uh, agency here in the united states it's captured by special interests yeah it is uh hollowed out and absolutely at the whim of uh whatever administration is in the white house I remember when Donald Trump came in, he immediately uh, started allowing the sale of this chemical called chlorpyrifos, uh, which is like a super, super fucking toxic uh, um, pesticide. And like just immediately, he comes in and put down pressure on them, and they allow it again. It's because these things—they're political institutions, just like every institution in this country, right? So uh, I would say just because the EPA is saying something safe, I wouldn't uh, assume that it is safe. I think the EPA maybe was better in previous days, but now, just like everything else in this country, it's hollowed out, and uh, it is uh, politicized. So um, there was a town hall last night where uh, in East Palestine, for concerned citizens—obviously, you should be concerned— and uh, straight up fucking Norfolk Southern <laughs> trail the, the Just to clar- clarify,
1: sorry, really quick, I want to jump yeah. in because I don't think that we've reiterated it on this episode, and yeah. who knows if people listening are, are are dummies because I know that if I wasn't up on this, I would be confused. We're talking about East Palestine, Ohio, so yeah, just yeah. So you just so you're not confused, oh, yeah. and like I know <laughs> sometimes people are you know. like, oh well, you know, it's half the world away, and shit, fucking weird shit happens over there. This is like it is a weird town name. It is, but it's also like, yeah. I mean, it's no king of Prussia, but it's yeah. it's it's yeah. this is this is the heartland of like this country. Sorry, it, yeah, this is I, I know that South. seems obvious, but I'm just to in yeah. case yeah. anyone yeah, we're listening about the up East on.
0: Palestine uh, Ohio <laughs> train derailment. Right. So the company Norfolk uh, Norfolk Southern, uh, just strip doesn't show up to this town hall yesterday. Just strip does not show up to this yeah. town hall that was called for them to answer questions about concerned citizens. And then they say that they feared for the safety of, you know, the people who work for Norfolk Southern Which, Good. Um right. <laughs> uh, And then, and at this meeting where people are being told that it is safe, it's safe outside, there are further and further away are these huge like die-offs of animals, uh, you know, fish and birds are always going to be the first to die in these sorts of releases. Yeah, because they, they don't, don't have delicate. quite the... Yeah, they don't have quite the robust... Uh, you know, systems to, to break down these chemicals uh, metabolic systems you know for instance if you heat like you're not supposed to heat like teflon which is a polymer you're not supposed to heat like a teflon coated pan mm-hmm. without any sort of oil in it if you have birds in your house because yeah. they, they'll die from the fumes way before it's even toxic to humans right so so fish and birds are always going to die first in these sorts of events But the die-off is happening further and further and further and further away. There's, like, mass die-offs of, like, fish and shit and streams. Like, this is contaminating the watershed. And then uh, people at this town hall are straight up saying that they're waking up with, like, completely, like, fucked airways. Their children are breaking out in rashes. Like, people are getting sick. Yeah. And, you know, people have talked about, like, smaller mammals dying, like, their cats. And, like, some guy who is, like, a fox breeder, he says his fox his fox are like dying and like trying to run away and breaking their legs they're like in such a hurry and you know and so like you know smaller mammals are started are you know dying as well and people are getting sick as well it's just this is a complete fucking disaster in the heartland yeah. of <laughs> the heartland of this country yeah and uh, i think one of the craziest ones and it's one of those things where it's like the synchronicity that you almost want to like go crazy about so you know the author don DeLillo. We've yeah. talked about him. He did the book Libro that we talked about with uh, Patrick yeah, and yeah, Ian yeah, yeah. on the JFK Ups. He has a book called White Noise, which is about an airborne toxic yes, event. Yes, they
1: just made a Netflix uh, movie of it. Yep. Yeah,
0: which is filmed in Ohio. Interesting. And some of the extras in the movie are from East Palestine. And those people have talked about it, They're <laughs> like, yeah, we were extras in a movie, and we're now literally f- living through the thing that we would just act in a movie about. It's like you see shit like that, and it's like enough to make your mind go fucking insane.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's cra- I mean, it's crazy. It's Insane synchronicity. Yeah, that's like insane. Well, I was thinking about that the other day, and I didn't do any reading into it, but I was like, oh yeah. man, didn't didn't White Noise just come out? And I, you know, I I yeah. have not read or seen the movie, but I know like the basic same and, yeah. same same. I haven't either. Um, but and... yeah, no,
0: these people like were interviewed, I think, by the New York Times or something like that.
1: Yeah. Oh man. Man, that's a, that's fucking tragic. Yeah, that's I fucking mean, yeah, this bizarre. Is, this it's just is the kind like, of irony that uh, you know. It, it makes me think. Like, um, I was watching an old episode of South Park the other day, which I very occasionally yeah. will do. <clears throat> and yeah. it was, you remember the episode Gray Dawn when all the elderly people are getting their licenses taken away yeah, because. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so, at the very beginning, it starts and it's like a memorial service for somebody who's been killed by an elderly driver. And uh, what's the priest's name? Father. Well, I don't remember. Yeah, whatever. He's saying, like, you know, people are often wondering, like, why would God do this? And it's like, it's important to realize that God's sense of humor isn't like ours. He's not satisfied with a simple gag or a joke he needs complex irony with you know <laughs> moral twists and implications that are staggering and beyond our mortal and it's like moments like this where <laughs> like that i just feel like really rings true it's like yeah yeah, man, yeah what the fuck if he's like, up there a year like, later <laughs> <laughs> a year later these po- poor people yeah
0: It like how like fucking dissociating must that be yeah like that you acted in the movie and now it's happening to you and it's just like this like farce almost, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, man. It's, I mean, and it's crazy because these, these railroad workers were striking like a month ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it got broken by this administration. And this is one of the rail companies. And then two more derailments have happened this week. There was a derailment in uh, Texas, one today in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um. And then there was a, I think this was yesterday, some truck in Arizona carrying like concentrated nitric acid. Which just by the, like, nitric acid is incredibly dangerous to breathe. Mm-hmm. Like, the fumes, it's called fuming nitric acid. And you can see the fumes come off of it with this, like, really, like, brutal brick color. Which is, like, lung-killing shit. And this truck carrying, like, it must have carrying like, 55-gallon drums of this shit, crashes, spills this nitric acid. It's in Arizona. It's yeah. hot. So this shit's fucking fuming. Yeah. Thank God it's in Arizona and not someplace moist because if water, when water, you know, uh, hits nitric acid, the fumes can be much worse. Um, but and I'm looking at this video, and you're seeing plumes of like clearly nitrated, like a yeah. uh, 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 you know uh, toxic, like um, what well, uh, just you know sm- uh, like not really smoke, but like kind of yeah, smoke coming yeah. off of it. And, like, you see that, and you should think to yourself, man, that's, like, fucking, like, lung, like, destroying. Like, that shit that'll, like, make you, like, cough up blood. Yeah. And then there's just, like, a bunch of cops standing, like, 20 feet away with, like, yeah. no no respirators, no no PPE or nothing. Clearly, they don't know what's going on. People are driving by. They ended up having to shut down the entire highway Jesus. and, like, have a shelter in place for, like, you know, a, like, over, a, like, like, two miles downwind or something like that but these dudes are just like standing like 20 feet away i'm like dude if the wind changes and that shit comes towards you you're gonna be coughing up fucking blood real quick yeah yeah <laughs> dude scary man like fuming nitric acid so like what the fuck's going on why are <clears throat> they, like maybe this shit happens way more than we think like i mean all of the transportation in this country is just fucking crumbling but
1: yeah well that's uh, just ask ben garrison you sent <laughs> dude, me I'm... you sent me that fucking <laughs>
0: So, so uh, I'm in a group chat with Ian and Patrick, and, like, we like to send each other, like, Ben Garrison, uh, like, the really, like, deranged Ben Garrison ones, and nobody, none of us have sent, uh, sent that at all, and then, like, late last night, Patrick just sends that to Ian and I and just goes, dude, we are so fucking back. Like, like, one of the most deranged Ben Garrison comics in, yeah. like, months dude fucked up like ben garrison year, is such a fucking loser but like dude his neurosis he always makes everybody's ass so fucking big yeah
1: do you like, think he's like loves he's a booty guy or do you think he's like self-conscious about his ass like where dude, do you think i don't I, I refuse
0: to investigate the mind of ben garrison because he, he,
1: <laughs> he always used to give donald trump like a fatty dude
0: dude and hillary clinton too oh she's my got god. a dumper in all of his pictures like he he just is all draws the biggest fucking asses on everybody yeah big ju- and like and I, they're
1: like juicy and round too they're yeah. not like oh yeah they're, they're, they're not like they're unflattering ca- they're, they're like fucking dude. they're dumpers dude <laughs> they are like, calipigian dude <laughs> yeah yeah oh my god calipygian listen to you yeah
0: um no seriously though. so and yeah so, i refuse to investigate the mind of ben garrison further that's just
1: a neurosis that i i do not wish to know more well, speaking of uh, hideous perversions of artistic expression, um, I think this is probably a good place here to, you know end our intro segment. Um, we do have uh, some wonderful sword and sorcery ahead of you. Um, I am going to give you just the slightest of content warnings in advance. Uh, first of all, we can take no editorial uh, credit. Um, or blame for the contents of the episode that follows. Uh, nope. The Eye of Argon is an existing work. It's in the public domain. Um, you're welcome to find it and read along. Um, but also... your Argon books, yeah, your texts. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, there is some really, like, fucking demented shit. And it's important to note, this was written by a 17 or 16-year-old in 1970 um, who was probably, like... <laughs> You know the the best writer in his high school english class or something but like he's i mean it's dog shit and his view of women and sexuality and everything um not only is it on full display but it's like it's demented and it's like not okay yeah it's, it's not up to not up no no fucking points, well. i mean it wasn't it wasn't up to fucking code in 1970 series. like in 1970 people read this and were like this is the weirdest worst shit i've ever read so yeah. like just getting that out of the way now so listen at your own risk that being said i highly recommend that you do listen I, I have been having a lot of fun reading it and it's uh i think one of the funniest worst things that i've ever read i and can't wait to
0: listen to yeah that, evan so, will be so. listening
1: with you guys because i've been doing the recordings of this solo yeah um but we also have plans to kind of do more stuff like this together in the future this is sort of just mm-hmm. a cam project that i was working on when i was sick and um yeah so i i i hope you guys enjoy and, uh, huh. yeah, we will, uh, let's leave the
0: risk, the listeners into your capable hands yeah. and dulcet tones.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> enjoy part one of our reading of the eye of Argonne. further explanation, uh, I think it's time to dive in. So this is The Eye of Argon by Jim Theus. We're going to say Theus, uh, and I'm not really sure. I'm actually going to look here. Yeah, it doesn't look like this is (laughs) separated into chapters, so, uh, I guess Jim, Jim did not himself see the need for that. So, I'm going to just start. The weather-beaten trail wound ahead into the dust-racked climbs of the barren land which dominates large portions of the Norgolian Empire. Age-worn hoofprints, smothered by the sifting sands of time, shone dully against the dust-splattered crust of the earth. The tireless sun cast its parching rays of incandescence from overhead, halfway through its daily revolution. Small rodents scampered about, occupying themselves in the daily accomplishments of their dismal lives. (laughs) Dust sprayed over three heaving mounts in blinding clouds, while they bore the burdensome cargoes of their struggling overseers. This is wild. This is insane. Prepare to embrace your creators in the Stygian haunts of hell, barbarian, gasped the first soldier. "'Only after you have kissed the fleeting stead of death, wretch,' returned Grigner. A sweeping blade of flashing steel riveted from the massive barbarian's hide-enameled shield as his rippling right arm thrust forth, sending a steel-shod blade to the hilt into the soldier's vital organs. The disemboweled mercenary crumpled from his saddle and sank to the clouded sward, sprinkling the parched dust with crimson droplets of escaping life fluid.' The enthused barbarian swiveled about, his shock of fiery red hair tossing robustly in the humid air currents as he faced the attack of the defeated soldier's fellow-in-arms. Damn you, barbarian, shrieked the soldier as he observed his comrade in death. A gleaming scimitar smote a heavy blow against the renegade's spiked helmet, bringing a heavy cloud over the accordion's misting brain. Shaking off the effects of the pounding blow to his head, Grigner brought down his scarlet-streaked edge against the soldier's crudely forged hauberk, clanging harmlessly to the left side of his opponent. The soldier's stead steed, steadily wrote stead, whinnied as he directed the horse back from the driving blade of the barbarian. Grigner leashed his mount forward as the hoarsely-piercing bre- battle cry of his wilderness-bred race resounded from his grinding lungs. A twirling blade bounced harmlessly from the mighty thief's buckler as his rolling right arm cleft upward, sending a foot of blinding steel ripping through the Cimmerian's exposed gullet. A gasping gurgle from the soldier's writhing mouth as he tumbled to the golden sand at his feet and wormed agonizingly in his deathbed. <laughs> Jesus. Grigner's emerald green orbs <laughs> glared lustfully, at the wallowing soldier struggling before his chestnut-swirled mount. His scowling voice reverberated over the dying form in a tone of mocking mirth. You city-bred dogs should learn not to antagonize your better. Reigning his weary mount ahead, Grigner resumed his journey to the Noragolian... I I don't know... I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I don't know if he's... I think he has forgotten how to spell... Whatever the Noragolian city of Gorzam, hoping to discover wine, women, and adventure to boil the wild blood coursing through his savage veins. The trek to Gorzam was forced upon Grigner when the soldiers of Kryn were unleashed upon him by a faithless concubine he had wooed. His scandalous activities throughout the Cimmerian city had unleashed throngs of havoc and uproar among its refined patricians, leading them to tack a heavy reward over his head. He had barely managed to escape through the back entrance of the inn he had been guzzling in, as a squad of soldiers taunted upon him. After spilling a spout of blood from the leader of the mercenaries as he dismembered one of the officer's arms, he retreated to his mount to make his way towards Gorzam, rumored to be rumored to contain hordes of plunder and many young wenches for any man who has the backbone to wrest them away and i lied it looks like it is spread into chapters that was the conclusion of chapter one and we will now commence with chapter two arriving after dusk in gorzom grigner descended upon a dismal alley reining his horse before a beaten tavern the red-haired giant strode into the dimly lit hostelry reeking of foul odors and cheap wine The air was heavy with choking fumes spewing from smoldering torches, one word, encased within Thedon's earthen-packed walls. The dens? The dens earthen-packed walls. Tables were clustered with groups of drunken thieves and cutthroats, tossing dice or making love to willing prostitutes. Eyeing a slender female crouched alone at a nearby bench, Grigner advanced, wishing to wholesomely occupy his time. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. I am going to now refer to coitus as a wholesome occupation of time. The flickering torches cast weird shafts of luminescence dancing over the half-naked harlot of his choice, her stringy orchid twines of hair swaying gracefully over the live, opaque nose as she raised a half-drained mug to her pale red lips. Glancing upward, the alluring complexion noted the stalwart giant as he rapidly approached. A faint glimmer sparked from the pair of deep blue ovals of the amorous female as she motioned toward Grigner, enticing him to join her. The barbarian seated himself upon a stool at the wench's side, exposing his body. Naked save for a loincloth brandishing a long steel broadsword, an iron-spiraled battle-helmet, and a thick, leather san- a thick leather sandals, to her unobstructed view. "'Thou hast need to occupy your time, barbarian?' questioned the female. "'Only if something worth offering is within my reach,' stated Grigner, as his hands crept to embrace the tempting female who welcomed them with open willingness. "'From where do you come, barbarian, and by what are you called?' gasped the complying wench as Grigner smothered her lips with the blazing touch of his flaming mouth. The engrossed titan ignored the queries of the inquisitive female, pulling her towards him and crushing her sagging nipples to his yearning chest. Without struggle, she gave in, winding her soft arms around the harshly bronze bronzed hide of, Grigner cor- of Grigner-corded shoulder blades as his calloused hands caressed her firm, protruding busts. "'You make love well, wench,' admitted Grigner, as he reached for the vessel of potent wine his charge had been quaffing. A flying foot caught the mug Grigner had taken hold of, sending its blood-red contents sloshing over a flickering crescent, leashing tongues of bright orange flame to the foot-trodden floor.' "'Remove yourself, sirrah! The wench belongs to me!' blabbered a drunken soldier, too far consumed by the influences of his virile brew to take note of the superior size of his adversary. Grigner lively bounded from the startled female, his face lit up to an ashen red ferocity, and eyes locked in a searing, feral blaze towards the swaying soldier. "'To hell with you, braggard!' bellowed the angered accordion as he hefted his finely honed broadsword." The staggering soldier clumsily reached towards the pommel of his dangling sword. <laughs> but before his hands ever touched the oaken hilt, a silvered flash was slicing the heavy air. The thews of the savage's lashing right arm bulged. The thews? What the fuck are those? The thews of the savage's lashing right arm bulged from the glistening bronzed hide as his blade bit deeply into the soldier's neck loping off the confused head of his senseless tormentor. Uh, side note here. I'm doing my best to read uh, phonetically from what's written here, um, so don't read too far into anything that sounds like a, a non-existent word or a mispronunciation on my part. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to faithfully uh, recreate the material for you guys. With a nauseating thud, the severed oval toppled to the floor... This guy really loves describing body parts as, like, shapes. You know, orbs and ovals and stuff. As the segregate, the segregated torso of Grigner's bovine antagonist swayed, then collapsed in a pool of swirled crimson. In the confusion, the soldier's fellows confronted Grigner with unsheathed cutlasses directed towards the latter's scowling makeup. The slut should have picked his quarry more carefully, roared the victor, In a mocking, baritone growl, as he wiped his dripping blade on the prostrate form and returned it to its scabbard. "'The fool should have shown more prudence. However, you shall rue your actions while rotting in the pits,' stated one of the sprawled soldier's comrades. Grigner's hand began to remove his blade from its leather housing, but retarded the motion in face of the blades waving before his face. "'Dismiss your hand from the hilt, barbarian!' or you shall find a foot of steel sheathed in your gizzard. Grigner weighed his position, observing his plight, whereupon he took the soldier's advice as the only logical choice. To attempt to hack his way from his present predicament could only warrant certain death. He was of no mind to bring upon his own demise if an alternate path presented itself. The will to necessitate his life forced him to yield to the superior force in hopes of a moment of carelessness later upon the part of his captors, in which he could effect a more plausible means of escape, which, frankly, is very smart of Grigner. You may steady your arms. I will go without a struggle. Your decision is a wise one, yet perhaps you would have been better off had you faced death. The soldier's mouth wrinkled to a sadistic grin of knowing mirth as he prodded his prisoner on with his sword point. After an indiscriminate period of marching through slinking alleyways and dim, moonlighted streets, the procession confronted a massive seraglio. Seraglio? Hmm. The palace area was surrounded by an iron grating with a lush garden upon all sides. The group was admitted through the gilded gateway, and Grigner was led was led along a stone pathway bordered by plush vegetation lustfully enhanced by the moon's shimmering rays. Upon reaching the palace, the group was granted entrance, and after several minutes of explanation, led through several winding corridors to a richly draped chamber. Confronting the group was a short, stocky man seated upon a golden throne. Tapestries of richly draped regal blue silk covered all walls of the chamber, while the steps leading to the throne were plated with sprinkling white ivory. The man upon the throne had a naked wench seated at each of his arms, and a trusted advisor seated in back of him. At each were, of the chamber, a guard stood at attention, with upraised pikes supported in their hands, golden chainmail adorning their torsos, and barred helmets emitting scarlet plumes enshrouding their heads. The man rose from his throne to the dais surrounding it, "'his plush turquoise robe dangled loosely from his chunky frame. "'The soldiers surrounding Grigner fell to their knees "'with heads bowed to the stone masonry of the floor "'in fearful dignity to their sovereign liege. "'Explain the purpose of this intrusion upon my chateau. "'Your serenity, resplendent in noble grandeur, "'we have brought this yokel before you,' the soldier gestured toward Grigner, "'for the redress of your all-knowing wisdom in judgment regarding his fate.' Down on your knees, lout, and pay proper homage to your sovereign, commanded the pudgy noble of Grigner. By the surly mark of Mrifk, Grigner kneels to no man. (laughs) By the surly beard of Mrifk, Grigner kneels to no man, scowled the massive barbarian. You dare to deal this blasphemous act to me? "'You are indeed brave, stranger, yet your valour smacks of foolishness. "'I find you to be the only fool, sitting upon your pompous throne, "'enhancing the rolling flabs of your belly in the midst of your elaborate luxury, and—' "'The soldier standing at Grigner's side smote him heavily in the face with the flat of his sword, "'cutting short the harsh words and knocking his battered helmet to the masonry with an echoing clang. "'The paunchy noble's sagging round face "'flushed suddenly pale, "'then hastily lit up to a lustrous cherry-red radiance. "'His lips trembled with malicious rage "'while emitting a muffled, sibilant gibberish. "'His sagging flabs rolled like a tub of upset jelly, (laughs) "'then compressed as he sucked in his gut "'in an attempt to conceal his softness. "'The prince regained his statue,' then spoke to the soldiers surrounding Grigner, his face conforming to an ugly expression of sadistic humor. Take this uncouth heathen to the vault of misery, and be sure that his agonies are long and drawn out before death can release him. As you wish, sire, your command shall be heeded immediately, answered the soldier on the right of Grigner as he stared into the barbarian's seemingly unaffected face. The adviser seated in the back of the noble slowly rose and advanced to the side of his master, motioning the wenches seated at his sides to remove themselves. He lowered his head and whispered to the noble, "'Eminence, the punishment you have decreed will cause much misery to this scum, yet it will last only a short time, then release him to a land beyond the sufferings of the human body. Why not mellow him in one of the subterranean vaults for a few days?' then send him to life-labor in one of your buried mines. To one such as he, a life spent in the confinement of the Stygian pits will be an infinitely more appropriate and lasting torture. The noble cupped his drooping double chin in the folds of his briming palm, meditating for a moment upon the rationality of the counsellor's words, then raised his shaggy brown eyebrows and turned towards the advisor, eyes aglow. As always, Ag- Agafund. <laughs> You speak with great wisdom, your words ring of great knowledge concerning the nature of one such as he, saith the king. I guess he's a king now. The noble turned toward the prisoner with a noticeable shimmer reflecting in his frog-like eyes and his lips contorting to a greasy grin. I have decided to void my previous decree. The prisoner shall be removed to one of the palace's underground vaults. "'There he shall stay, until I have decided that he has sufficiently simmered, "'whereupon he is to be allowed to spend the remainder of his days at labour in one of my mines.' Upon hearing this, Grigner realized that his fate would be far less merciful than death to one such as he, who was used to roaming the countryside at will. A life of confinement would be more than his body and mind could stand up to. This type of life would be immeasurably worse than death.' I shall never understand the ways if your twisted civilization. I simply defend my honor and am condemned to life confinement by a pig who sits on his royal ass wooing whores and knows nothing of the affairs of the land he imagines to rule. Lectures Grigner? (laughs) That's a weird place for a question mark. Enough of this. Away with the slut before I lose my control. So this is the second time that this guy, this writer, has used slut as just like a... Like a blanket insult? Uh, People are just calling each other sluts willy-nilly in Norgolian, Norgolod, whatever this fucking empire is called. (laughs) Seeing the peril of his position, Grigner searched for an opening. Crushing prudence to the sword, he plowed into the soldier at his left arm, taking hold of his sword, and bounding to the dais supporting the prince before the startled guards could regain their composure. Agaffined leaped Grigner and his sire, but found a sword blade permeating the length of his ribs before he could loose his weapon. The counselor slumped to his knees as Grigner slid his crimsoned blade from Agfen's ribcage. The fat prince stood undulating in insurmountable fear before the edge of the fiery-maned comet, his flabs of jellied blubber pulsating to and fro in ripples of flowing terror. Where is your wisdom and power now, your majesty? <laughs> growled Grigner. <laughs> the prince went rigid as Grigner, discerning him, glazed over his shoulder. Wow, okay. He, he swived to note the cause of the noble's attention, raised his sword over his head, and prepared to leash a vicious downward cleft, but fell short as the heft of a steel rhymed pike clashed against his unguarded skull. Then, blackness and solitude, silence enshrouding and ever-peaceful reigned supreme. Before me, sirrah, before me as always, ha, 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 ha. nobly cackled. <laughs> That's the end of chapter two. Chapter three. Consciousness returned to Grigner in stigmatic, stigmatic pools as his mind gradually cleared of the cobwebs cluttering its inner recesses, yet the stygian cloud of charcoal ebony remained, an incompatible shield of blackness enhanced by the bleak absence of sound. Grigner's muddled brain reeled from the shock of the blow he had received to the base of his skull. The events leading to his predicament were slow to filter back to him. He dickered with the notion that he was dead and had descended or sunk, however it may be, to the shadowed land beyond the aperture of the grave, but rejected this hypothesis when his memory sifted back within his grips. This was not the land of the dead. It was something infinitely more precarious than anything the grave could offer. Death promised an infinity of peace, not the finite misery of an inactive life of confirmed torture, forever concealed from the life-bearing shafts of the beloved rising sun. The orb that had been before taken for granted, yet now cherished above all else. Again with the orbs. Orbs and... 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 What does he say? Orbs and... I don't remember. <laughs> to be forever refused further glimpses of the snow-capped summits of the land of his birth, never again to witness the thrill of plundering unexplored lands beyond the crest of a bleeding horizon, and perhaps worst of all the denial to ever again encompass the lustful excitement of caressing the naked curves of the body of a trim-yund yon- wench. <laughs> this was indeed one of the buried chasms of hell concealed within the inner depths of the palace's despised interior. A fearful ebony chamber devised to drive to the brinks of insanity the minds of the unfortunately condemned through the inept solitude of a limbo of listless, dreary silence. That concludes chapter three. We are now on to chapter three and a half. A tightly-wrung elliptical circle or torches cast their wavering shafts prancing morbidly over the smooth surface of a rectangular, ridged altar. Expertly chiseled forms of grotesque gargoyles graced the oblique rim, protuberating the length of the grim orifice of death, staring forever ahead... There's a lot of run-on sentences here. Staring forever ahead into nothingness in complete ignorance of the bloody rites enacted in their presence brown flaking stains decorated the golden surface of the ridge surrounding the altar which banked to a small slit at the lower right hand corner of the altar the slit stood above a crudely pounded pail which had several silver meshed chalices hanging at its sides dangling at the rim of golden mallet uh, the handle of which was engraved with images of twisted faces and grooved at its far end with slots designed for a snug hand grip. The head of the mallet was slightly larger than a clenched fist and shaped into a smooth oval mass. The uh, encircling the marble altar was a congregation of leering sh- shamans eerie chants of a bygone age originating unknown eons before the memory of man were being uttered from the buried recesses of the acolytes' deeplings the acolytes' deeplings orange paint was smeared in generous globules over the tops of the priests wrinkled shaven scalps while golden rings projected from the lobes of their pink ears ornate robes of lush, lush i think luscious Purple satin enclosed their bulging torsos, attached around their waists with silvered silk lashes, latched with ebony buckles in the shape of morose, misshaped skulls. Dangling around their necks were oval-fashioned medallions, held by thin gold chains, featuring in their centers blood-red rubies which resembled crimson fetish eyeballs. Can you guys picture this scene? Because I feel like I'm there. Cushioning their bare feet were plush red felt slippers with pointed golden spikes projecting from their tips. Situated in front of the altar and directly adjacent to the copper pale was a massive jade idol, a misshaped, hideous bust of the shaman's pagan deity. The shimmering green idol was placed in a sitting posture on an ornately carved golden throne raised upon a round, "'Divory-plated dais,' probably ivory. "'Its bulging arms and webbed hands resting on the padded arms of the seat. "'Its head was entwined in golden snake-like coils, "'hanging over its oblong ears, which tapered off to thin, hollow points. "'Its nose was a bulging triangular mass, "'sunken in at its sides with toe-gaping nostrils. "'Dramatic beneath the nostrils was a twisted, shaggy-lipped mouth.' giving the impression of a slovering, sadistic grimace at the foot of the heathen deity a slender pale-faced female naked oof, had to had to, she had to be naked but for a golden jeweled harness enshrouding her huge outcropping breasts supporting long silver laces which extended to her thigh stood before the pearled, the pearl-white field with noticeable shivers travelling up and down the length of her exquisitely molded body. This dude was horny as shit. This guy was so goddamn horny. It's 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 unbelievable to me. Her delicate lips trembled beneath so- <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Her delicate lips trembled beneath soft narrow hands as she attempted to conceal herself from the piercing stare of the ambivalent idol. Glaring directly down towards her was the stony, cycloptic face of the bloated deity. Gaping from its single obling, obling? oblong probably, socket was scintillating, many-faceted scarlet emerald, a brilliant gem seeming to possess a life all of its own. A priceless, gleaming stone capable of domineering the wealth of conquering empires. The eye of Argon. Fuck yeah. This is the first time that we've encountered uh, the eponymous Eye of Argon in our narrative, so I feel like you should really make note of this. this. This, of course, concludes chapter three and a half. Chapter four. All knowledge of measuring time had escaped Grigner. When a person is deprived of the sun, moon, and stars, he loses all conception of time as he had previously understood it. It seemed as if years had passed if time were being measured by terms of misery and mental anguish, yet he estimated that his stay had only been a few days in length. So, okay, so not all knowledge of measuring time has escaped Grigner. He's making a pretty solid estimate here. He has slept three times and had been fed five times since his awakening in the crypt. However, when the actions of the body are restricted, its needs are also affected. The need for nourishment and slumber are directly proportional to the functions the body has performed. Meaning, that when free and active Grigner may have become hungry every six hours, and witnessed the desire for sleep every 15 hours, whereas in his present condition, he may encounter the need for food every 10 hours, and the want for rest every 20 hours. All methods he had before depended upon were extinct in the dismal pit. Great. Hence, he may have been imprisoned for 10 minutes or 10 years he did not know, resulting in a disheartened emotion deep within his being. Now, I think that's a bit of an exaggeration. I... I think 10 minutes or 10 years, it's definitely somewhere in between. The food, if you can honor the moldering lumps of fetid mush to that extent, was borne to him by two guards who opened a portal at the top of his enclosure and shoved it to him in wooden bowls, retrieving the food and water bowls from his previous meal at the same time, after which they threw back the bolts on the iron latch and returned to their other duties. Since deprived of all other means of nourishment, Grigner was impelled to eat the tainted slop in order to ward off the pangs of starvation, though as he stuffed it into his mouth with his filthy fingers and struggled to force it down his throat, this is, uh, this is the weirdest boner I've ever had, he imagined it was that which had been spurned by the hounds stationed at various segments of the palace. There was little in the barren vault that could occupy his body or mind. He had placed out the length and width of the enclosure Ah, he had paced out the length and width of the enclosure time and time again and tested every granite slab which consisted the walls of the prison in hopes of finding a hidden passage to freedom, all of which was to no avail other than to keep him busy and distract his mind from wandering to thoughts of what he believed was his future. He had memorized the number of strides from one end to the other of the cell, and he knew the exact number of slabs which made up the bleak dungeon. Numerous schemes were introduced and alternately discarded in turn, as they succoured to unravel to him no means of escape which stood the slightest chance of success. Anguish continued to mount as his means of occupation were rapidly exhaust exhausted. Two separate words. Suddenly, with no. Suddenly, with no tithe. No tithe? Suddenly. Well, he's got no tithe. Suddenly, with no tithe, he was routed from his contemplations as he detected a faint scratching sound at the end of the crypt opposite him. The sound seemed to be caused by something trying to scrape away at the grantite blocks the floor of the enclosure consisted of, the sandy scratching of something like an animal's claws. Grigner gradually groped his way to the other end of the vault, carefully feeling his way along with his hands ahead of him. When a few inches from the wall, a loud, penetrating squeal and the scampering of small padded feet reverberated from the walls of the roughly hewn chamber. Grigner threw his hands up to shield his face and flung himself backwards upon his buttocks. A fuzzy form bounded to his hairy chest, burying its talons in his flesh while gnashing towards his throat with its grinding white teeth. Its sour-fetid breath scorching the squirming barbarian's dilated nostrils. Grigner grappled with the lashing flexor muscles of the repugnant body of a garganuan brown-hided rat, striving to hold its razor teeth from his juicy jugular. This dude fucking loves alliteration. And, I like, seriously, I'm here for it. Reading this feels really good. There are so many sentences in this that, you know, are obviously, like, dog shit. Like, this is clearly, like... I would guess this person's, like, a teenager, the person writing this. Now, that's... I've done no prior research. I would guess that the person writing this uh, is a teenager. But I, I I feel like they've managed to create some really fun sentences to read, uh, even though they sound terrible, and everything feels like extremely overwrought, Uh, striving to hold its razor teeth from his juicy jugular, I mean that just feels fucking awesome to read, (laughs) Uh, as its beady grey organs of sight, (laughs) the way this guy describes eyes too is fucking awesome, ovals and orbs and organs of sight um as its beady gray organs of sight glazed into the flaring emeralds <laughs> again its prey this is it's awesome like he's probably just learned in an english class that it's like you don't want to just say the same thing over and over again so you don't want to say eyes like over and over again but the i mean the way that he's going about it is fan- it's just fantastic i got to read this again as its beady gray organs of sight Glazed into the flaring emeralds of its prey. <laughs> they made eye contact. Taking hold of the rodent around its lean, growling stomach with both hands, Griegner pried it from his crimson rent breast, removing small patches of flayed fresh flayed flesh from his chest. Now here's the thing: he says chest twice here. Why didn't he say like from his rippling barrel or something? <laughs> Uh, removing small patches of flayed flesh from his chest in the motion between the squalid black claws of the starving beast. Holding the rodent at arm's length, he cupped his right hand over its frothing face, contracting his fingers into a vice-like fist over the quivering head. Retraining, retra- retaining his grips on the rat, Grigner flexed his outstretched arms while slowly twisting his right hand clockwise and his left hand counterclockwise motion. Kind of like a what we used to call an Indian sunburn. I don't, I'm sure that there's probably a, a newer name for that, but that's what we used to call that. The rodent lent out a tortured squall, drawing scarlet as, its violent, as it violently dug its foam-flecked flangs, foam-flecked fangs, into the barbarian's sweating palm, causing his face to contort to an ugly grimace as he cursed beneath his breath. With a loud crack, the rodent's head parted from its squirming torso, sending out a sprinkling sprinkling shower of crimson gore, and trailing a slimy string of disjointed vertebrae, snapped trachea, esophagus, and jugular, disjointed hyoid bone, morose purpled stretched hide, and blood-seared muscles." (laughs) Flinging the broken body to the floor, Grigner shook his blood-streaked hands and wiped them against his thigh until dry, then wiped the blood that had showered his face and from his eyes. Again sitting himself upon the jagged floor, he prepared to once more revamp his glum meditations. He told himself that as long as he still breathed the gust of life through his lungs, hope was not lost. He told himself this, but found it hard to comprehend in his gloomy surroundings. Yet he was still alive, his bulging sinews at their peak of marvel, his struggling mind floating in a mural of impressed excellence of thought. Plot after plot sifted through his mind in energetic contemplations. Then it hit him. Minutes may have passed in silent thought or days, he could not tell, but he stumbled at last upon a plan that he considered as holding a slight margin of plausibility. He might die in the attempt, but he knew he would not submit without a final bloody struggle. It was not a foolproof plan, yet it built up a store of renewed, vortexed energy in his overwrought soul— Though he might perish in the execution of the escape, he would still be escaping the life of infinite torture in store for him. Either way, he would still cheat the gloating prince of the succored revenge his sadistic mind craved so dearly. (sighs) The guards would soon come to bear him off to the prince's buried mines of dread giving him the sought-after opportunity to execute his nearly-formulated plan. Groping his way along the rough floor, Grigner finally found his tool in a pool of congealed gore. The carcass of the decapitated rodent, the tool that the very filth he had been sentenced to, spawned. When the time came for action, he would have to be prepared, so he set himself to rending the sticky hulk in grim silence, searching by the touch of his fingertips for the lever to freedom. Chapter 5 Up to the altar and be done with it, wench! ordered a fidgeting shaman as he gave the female a grim stare accompanied by the wrinkling of his lips to a mirthful grin of delight. The girl burst into a slow, steady whimper, Stooping shakily to her knees and cringing woefully from the priest with both arms wound snake-like around the bulging, jade-jade shin rising before her scantily attired figure. Her face was redly inflamed from the salty flow of tears spouting from her glassy, dilated eyeballs. (laughs) With short, heavy footfalls, the priest approached the female, his piercing stare never wavering from her quivering young countenance. Halting before the terrified girl, he projected his arm outward and motioned her to arise with an upward movement of his hand. The girl's whimpering increased slightly, and she sunk closer to the floor rather than arising. The flickering torches outlined her trim build with a weird, ornate glow, as it cast a ghostly shadow, dancing in horrid waves of splendor over smoothly-worn whiteness of the marble-hewn altar. The shaman's lips curled back farther, exposing a set of blackened, decaying molars, which transformed his slovenly grin into a wide, greasy arc of sadistic mirth and alternately interposed into the female a strong sensation of stomach-curdling nausea. "'Have it as you will, female!' gloated the enhanced priest as he bent over at the waist, projecting his ape-like arms forward, and clasped the female's slender arms with his hairy round fists. With an inward surge of his biceps, he harshly jerked the trembling girl to her feet, and smothered her salty wet cheeks with the moldy touch of his decrepit, dull red lips." All right, I guess this is going to be the the sexual assault content warning. Frankly, if you've made it this far into the book, uh, this book is full of hideous violence and sexual depravity. Uh, and I don't really know what to tell you. It's, it's, it's gross. It's just a gross, nasty, fucking uh, puberty-fueled fantasy of some weirdo. Uh, and there's really no redeeming quality to the narrative here. Um, so anyway, we're going to press onward. The vile stench of the shaman's hot, fetid breath overcame the nauseated female with a deep, soul-searing sickness, causing her to wrench her head backwards and regurgitate a slimy, orange-white stream of swelling gore over the richly woven purple robe of the enthused acolyte. The priest's lips trembled with a malicious rage as he removed his callous paws from the girl's arms and replaced them with tightly around her undulating neck, shaking her violently to and fro. The girl gasped a tortured groan from her clamped lungs, her sea-blue eyes bulging forth from damp sockets. Cocking her right foot backwards, she leashed it desperately outwards with the strength of a demon-possessed, lodging her sandaled foot squarely between the shaman's testicles. Good for her. I think in this situation, that's the first thing you should do. You should go straight for the nuts. The startled priest released his crushing grip, crimping his body over at the waist, overlooking his recessed belly. Wide open, in a deep chasm. Okay? Okay? His face flushed to a rose-red shade of crimson, eyelids fluttering wide with eyeballs protruding blindly outwards from their sockets to their outmost perimeters, while his lips quivered wildly about allowing an agonized wallow to gust forth from his breath billowed from burning lungs. His hands reached out clutching his urinary gland. ha! <laughs> As his knees wobbled rapidly about for a few seconds, then buckled, causing the ruptured shaman to collapse in an egg-huddled mass to the granite pavement, rolling helplessly about in his agony. Now, honestly dude, I hope you're not expecting any sympathy from from the reader here. Uh, It sounds like you deserved it. Uh, Maybe more. The pathetic screeches of the shaman grovelling in dejected misery upon the hand-hewn granite-laid pavement, worn smooth by countless hours of arduous sweat and toil, a welter of ichor oozing through his clenched hands, attracted the perturbed attention of his comrades from their fetid ululations. The actions of this this rebellious wench bespoke the credence of an unheard-of sacrilege. <coughs> <coughs> Never before, in a lost maze of untold eons, had a chosen one dared to demonstrate such blasphemy in the face of the cult's idolic deity. The girl cowered in unreasoning terror, helpless in the face of the emblazoned acolyte's rage. Her orchid-tussled face smothered betwixt her bulging bosom as she shut her curled, lashed, tightly hoping to open them and find herself awakening from a morbid nightmare. Yet the hand of destiny decreed her no such mercy. The antagonized pack of leering shaman, converging intensely upon her prostrate form, were entangled all too lividly in the grim web of reality. Shuddering from the claimy touch of the shaman, as they grasped with her supple form, hands wrenching at her slender arms and legs in all directions, her bare body being molested in the midst of a labyrinth of orange smudges, purpled satin, and mangled skulls, shadowed in an eerie crimson glow. Her confused head reeled, then clouded in a mist of enshrouding ebony as she lapsed beneath the protective sheet of unconsciousness to a land peach and resign." Chapter 6 Take hold of this rope, said the first soldier, and climb out from your pit, slut. <laughs> your presence is requested in another far deeper hellhole. Grigner slipped his right hand to his thigh, concealing a small opaque object beneath the folds of the G-string wrapped around his waist. Brine wells swelled in Grigner's cold, jade-squinting eyes, which, grown accustomed to the gloom of the Stygian pools of ebony engulfing him, were bedazzled and blinded by flickering radiance cast forth by the second soldier's resin torch. <laughs> Tightly gripped in the second soldier's right hand, Opposite the intermittent torch was a large double-edged axe, a long leather-wound oaken-handled transfixing the center of the weapon's iron head. Adorning the torsos of both of the sentries were thin yet sturdy hauberks, the breastplates of which were woven of tightly hemmed twines of reinforced silver braiding. Cupping the soldiers' feet were thick leather sandals, wound about their shins to two inches below their knees. Wrapped about their waists were wide satin girdles, with slender bladed poniards dangling loosely from them, the hilts of which featured scarlet-encrusted gems. Resting upon the manes of their heads and reaching midway to their brows were smooth copper morions. Spiraling the lower portion of the helmet were short, up-curved silver spikes, while a golden hump spired from the top of each bassinet. Beneath their chins, wound around their necks, and draping their clad shoulders, dangled regal purple satin cloaks, which flowed midway to the soldiers' feet. Now, this guy's clearly got an eye or a, a mind for uh, outfit design in the fantasy realm. Uh, I wonder if he was not the um, the DM for many a, a D&D campaign. That's just what, this, what this feels like. Somebody who, like... You know, his friends loved, like, his fucking insane DD campaigns so much that they were like, you should write a book, and he was like, yeah, definitely, and, like, that's the Eye of Argon. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is insane. Hand over hand, feet braced against the dank walls of the enclosure, huge Grigner ascended from the smoldering depths of the forlorn abyss. His swelled limbs, stiff due to the boredom of a timeless inactivity, compounded by the musty atmosphere and jagged granite protuberance against his body, craved for action. The opportunity now presenting itself served the purpose of oiling his rusty joints and honing his dulled senses. He braced himself, facing the second soldier. The sentry's stature was of wildly exaggerated in the glare of the flickering cresset cuppax in his right fist. Cupped, probably. His eyes were wide open in a slightly slanted owlish gaze, enhanced by their sinister intens in- in- enhanced in their sinister intensity by the hawkbill curve of his nose and pale yellow peak of his cheeks. Place your hands behind your back, said the second soldier, as he raised his axe over his right shoulder blade and cast it a wavering glance. We must bind your wrists to parry any attempts at escape. Be sure to make the knot a stout one, Broig. We wouldn't want our guests to take leave of our guidance. Broig grasped Grigner's left wrist wrist, and reached for the barbarian's right wrist. <laughs> Grigner wrenched his right arm free and swiveled, swiveled to face Broig. Reach beneath his loincloth with his right hand. The sentry grappled at his girdle for the sheathed dagger, but recoiled short of his intentions as Grigner's right arm swept to his gorge. The soldier went limp, his bobbing eyes rolling beneath fluttering eyelids, a deep welt across his spouting gullet. Without lingering to observe the result of his efforts, Grigner dropped to his knees. The second soldier's axe cleft over Grigner's head in a blaze of silvered ferocity, severing several scarlet locks from his scalp. Coming to rest in his fellow's stomach, the iron head crashed through mail and flesh with splintering force, spilling a pool of crimsoned entrails over the granite paving. Before the sentry could wrench his axe free from his comrade's carcass, he found Grigner's massive hands clasped about his throat, choking the life from his clamped lungs. With a zealous grunt, the accordion flexed his tightly corded biceps, forcing the grim-faced soldier to one knee. The sentry plunged his right fist into Grigner's face, digging his grimy nails into the barbarian flesh. Ejaculating a curse through rasping teeth, Grigner surged the bulk of his weight forward, bowling the besieged soldier over upon his back. The sentry's arms collapsed to his thigh, shuddering convulsively, his bulging eyes staring blindly from a bloated, cherry-red face. Rising to his feet, Grigner shook the blood from his eyes ruffling his surly red mane as a brush fire swaying to the nighttime breeze. Stooping over the sprawled corpse of the first soldier, Grigner retrieved a small white object from a pool of congealing gore. Snorting a gusty billow of mirth, he once more concealed the tiny object beneath his loincloth, the tediously honed pelvis bone of the broken rodent. (laughs) Returning his attention toward the second soldier, Grigner turned to the task of attiring his limbs. To move about freely through the dim recesses of the castle would require the grotesque garb of its soldiery. Utilizing the silence and stealth acquired in the untamed climes of his childhood, Grigner slinked through twisting corridors and winding stairways, lighting his way with the confiscated torch of his dispatched guardian. Knowing where his steps were leading to, Grigner meandered aimlessly in search of an exit from the chateau's dim confines. The wild blood coursing through his veins yearned for the undefiled freedom of the livid wilderness lands. Coming upon a fork in the passage, he treaked, he treaked, he treaked. Voices accompanied by clinking footfalls discerned to his sensitive ears from the left corridor. Wishing to avoid contact, Grigner veered to the right passageway. If a as to the purpose of his presence, his barbarous accent would reveal his identity, being that his attire was not that of the castle's mercenary troops. Now, I thought it... I thought it was. I thought he just put on their clothes. Oh well, I guess not. I don't know. In grim silence, Grigner treaded down the dingily-lit corridor a stalking panther creeping warily along on padded feet. After an interminable period of wandering through the dull corridors, no gaps to break the monotony of the cold grey walls, Grigner espied a small winding stairway. Descending the flight of arced granite slabs to their posterior, Grigner was confronted by a short hallway leading to a tall arched wooden doorway. Halting before the teeming portal portal, Grigner rests his shaggy head sideways against the barrier. Detecting no sounds from within, he grasped the looped metal handle of the door, his arms surging with a tremendous effort of bulging muscles, yet the door would not bulge. Retrieving his axe from where he had sheathed it beneath his girdle, he hefted it in his mighty hands with an, appe- an appeased grunt, and wedging one of its blackened edges into the crack between the portal and its iron-rhymed sill. Bracing his sandaled right foot against the rudgely-hewn wall, teeth tightly clenched, Grigner appalevered the oaken haft, employing it as a lever whereby to pry open the barrier. The leather-wound hilt bending to its utmost limits of endurance, the massive portal swung open with a grating of snapped latch and rusty iron hinges. Glancing about the dust-swirled room in the gloomily danced glare of his flickering cresset, Grigner eyed evidences of the enclosure being nothing more than a forgotten storeroom. Miscellaneous articles required for the maintenance of a castle were piled in disorganized heaps at infrequent intervals toward the wall opposite the barbarian's piercing stare. Utilizing long, bounding strides, Grigner paced his way over to the mounds of supplies to discover if any articles of value were contained within their midst. Detecting a faint clinking sound, Grigner sprawled to his left side with the speed of a striking cobra, landing harshly upon his back. Torch and axe loudly clattering to the floor in a morass of sparks and flame. An elm-woven board leaped from collapsed flooring, clashing against the jagged flooring and spewing a shower of orange and yellow sparks over Grigner's startled face. Rising uneasily to his feet, the half-stunned accordion glared down at the gruesome arm of death he had unwittingly sprung. Mrifk! That's just what he says. I think that's his god. Mrifk. <laughs> If not for his keen auditory organs and light lighting-steeled reflexes, Grigner would have been groping through the shadowed hell pits of the Grim Reaper. He had unknowingly stumbled upon an ancient, long-forgotten booby trap, a mistake which would have stunted the perusal of longevity of one less agile. A mechanism, similar in type to that of a miniature catapult, was concealed bet- beneath two collapsible sections of granite flooring. The arm of the device was four feet long, boasting razor-like cleats at regular intervals along its face, with which it was to skewer the luckless body of its would-be victim. Grigner had stepped upon a concealed catch which relaced a small metal latch beneath the two granite sections, causing them to fall inward and thereby loose the spiked arm of death they precariously held in. Partially out of curiosity, and partially out of an inordinate fear of becoming a pincushion for a possible second trap, Grigner plunged his torch into the exposed gap in the floor. The floor of a second chamber stood out seven feet below the glare. Tossing his torch through the aperture, Grigner grasped the side of an adjoining tile, dropping down. So, he's trying to escape. He knows he's in the dungeon. Why is he going down? I don't know. I guess it's good because he's probably going to save this chick from the uh, the uh, the evil rapey priests down in the, uh, the Argon chamber. So, you know, hopefully he gets there. That being said, he's also almost definitely going to take advantage of her immediately after saving her. Um, but I guess in this world, she's probably going to be into it. So who knows, man? I-, I don't know what the morality of any of the characters involved in this is. Glancing about the room, Grigner discovered that he had descended into the palace's mausoleum. Rectangular stone crypts cluttered the floor at evenly placed intervals. The tops of the enclosures were plated with thick layers of virgin gold, while the sides were plated with white ivory. At one time sparkling, but now grown dingy through the passage of the rays of all-encompassing Mother Time, all-encompassing Mother Time. Featured at the head of each sarcophagus in tarnished silver was an expugnissively carved likeness of its rotting inhabitant. I gotta know if that's a real word. Nah, man, I think he's just trying to say expensively. Expugnissively. Fuck, there are so many great made-up words in this. A dingy atmosphere pervaded the air of the chamber, which sealed in the enclosure for an unknown period had grown thick and stale. Intermingling with the curdled currents was the repugnant stench of slowly moldering flesh, creeping ever slowly but surely through minute cracks in the numerous vaults. Due to the embalming of the bodies, their flesh decayed at a much slower rate than normal, yet the nauseous odor was nonetheless repellent. Towering over Grigner's head was the trap he released. The mechanism of the miniaturized catapult was cluttered with mildew and cobwebs. Notwithstanding these relics of antiquity, its efficiency remained unimpinged. To the right of the trap wound a short stairway through a recession in the ceiling, a concealed entrance leading to the mausoleum for which the catapult had obviously been erected as a silent, relentless guardian. Climbing up the side of the device, Grigner set to the task of resetting its mechanism. In the event that a search was organized, it would prove well to leave no evidence of his presence upon to wa- open to wandering eyes. Besides, it might even serve to dwindle the size of an opposing force. Descending from his perch, Grigner was startled by a faintly muffled scream of horrified desperation. His hair prickled yawkishly in disorganized clumps along his scalp, as a cold danced along the length of his spinal cord. No moral-slash-mortal barrier, human or otherwise, was capable of arousing the numbing sensation of fear inside of Grigner's smoldering soul. However, he was overwrought by the forces of the barbarian's instinctive fear of the supernatural. His mighty thews had always served to adequately conquer any tangible foe. What are thews? This is the second time he said it. Thu, muscular strength. It's a, an old poetic term. Muscles and tendons, perceived as generating such strength. Huh. Okay, so that's a real word. His mighty thews had always served to adequately conquer any tangible foe. But the intangible was something distant and terrible. Dim, horrifying tales passed by word of mouth over glimmering campfires and skins of wine had more than once served the purpose of chilling the marrowed core of his sturdy-limbed bones. Yet, the scream continued. A, contained a strangely human quality, unlike that which Grigner imagined would come from the lungs of a demon or spirit, making Grigner take short nervous strides advancing to the sarcophagus from which the sound was issuing." Clenching his teeth in an attempt to steal his jangled nerves, Grigner slid the engraved slab from the vault with a sharp rasp of grinding stone. Another long-drawn cry of terror, infested anguish, met the barbarian, scoring like the shrill piping of a demented banshee, piercing his inner fibers of his superstitious brain with primitive dread, 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 and awe. Some of these have to be typos. I mean, I'd, maybe this... I don't know. <laughs> It's a lot of repetition of words here. Stooping over to espy the tomb's contents, the glittering accordion's nostrils were singed by the scorching aroma of a moldering corpse, long shut up and fermenting. The same putrid scent which permeated the entire chamber, though multiplied to a much more concentrated dosage. The shriveled, leathery packet of crumbling bones and dried, flacking flesh offered no resistance, but remained in a fixed position of perpetual vigilance, watching over its dim abode from hollowed, gaping sockets. The tortured cries were not coming from the tomb, but from some hidden depth below. Pulling the reeking corpse from its resting place, Grigner tossed it to the floor in a broken, mangled heap. Upon one side of the crypt's bottom was attached a series of tiny hinges while running parallel along the opposite side of a convex railing-like protuberance, laid so as to appear as a part of the interior surface of the sarcophagus. Raising the slab upon its bronze hinges, long removed from the gaze of human eyes, Grigner perceived a scene which caused his blood to smolder, not unlike bubbling molten lava." (laughs) Directly below him, a whimpering female lay stretched upon a smooth-surfaced marble altar. A pack of gracie-faced shaman clustered around her in a tight, circular formation. Crouched over the girl was a tall, pot-bellied priest, his mouth dominated by a disgusting, open-mouthed grimace of sadistic glee. Suspended from the acolyte's clenched right hand was a carven, oval-faced mallet which he waved menacingly over the girl's shadowed face. Never dangle your mallet over a lady's face without her consent, okay? I think we all know that better than that. It's, it's, it's 2023. An incoherent gibberish flowing from his grinning, thick-lipped mouth. In the face of the amorphous, broad bre- broad-breeded female, probably breasted, Stretching out alluringly before his gasping eyes, the universal whim of nature filling a plea of despair inside of his white-hot soul, Grigner acted in the only manner he could perceive. Giving vent to a hoarse, throat-rending battle cry, Grigner plunged into the midst of the startled shaman, torch simmering in his left hand and axe twirling in his right hand. A gaunt, skull-faced priest... Standing at the far side of the altar, clutched desperately at his throat, coughing furiously in an attempt to catch his breath. Lurching helplessly to and fro, the acolyte pitched headlong against the gleaming base of a massive jade idol. Now, I think we've seen this idol before, but, you know, Grigner has not. Riving agonizedly against the hideous image, foam-flecking his chalk-white lips, the priest struggled helplessly, the victim of an epileptic seizure. Startled by the barbarian's stunning appearance, the chronic fit of their fellow, and the fear that Grigner might be the the avant-garde, advanced guard—I think what they're saying—the (laughs) avant-garde of a conquering force dedicated to the or vanguard, maybe he meant. Well, he wrote avant-garde, the avant-garde of a conquering force dedicated to the cause of destroying their degenerated cult. The seamen momentarily lost their composure. Giving vent to heedless pandemonium, the priests fell easy prey to Grigner's sweeping arc of crimsoned death and maiming destruction. The acolyte performing the sacrifice took a vicious blow to the stomach, hands clutching vitals and severed spinal cord as he sprawled over the altar. The disorganized priests lurched and staggered with split skulls, dismembered limbs, and spewing entrails before the enraged accordion's relentless onslaught. The howls of the maimed and dying reverberated against the walls of the tiny chamber. The chorus of hell fraught despair as the granite floor ran red with blood. The entire chamber was encompassed in the heat of raw, savage butchery, as Grigner luxuriated in the grips of a primitive, beastly bloodlust. Presently, all went silent save for the ebbing groans of the sinking shaman and Grigner's heavy, heaving breath accompanied by several gusty curses. The well had run dry, no more lambs remained for the slaughter. <laughs> The rampaging stead of death having taken of Grigner for the moment left the barbarian free to the exploitation of his other perusials. Towering, his, towering over his head was the misshaped image of the cult's hideous deity, Argon. I feel like there are going to be no more chapters. I feel like this last one has been incredibly long. Let's see. Oh no, there are more. This line, this one's just very long. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll finish this one out here. The fantastic size of the idol in consideration of its being of pure jade was enough to cause the senses of any man to stagger and reel, yet thus was not the case for the behemoth. He had paid only casual notice to this and incredible fact, while re- riveting the whole of his attention upon the jewel protruding from the idol's sole socket, its masterfully cut faucets, (laughs) emitting blinding rays of hypnotizing beauty. After all, a man cannot slink from a heavily guarded palace while burdened down by the intensive bulk of a squatting statue, providing, of course, that the idol can even be hefted, which in fact was beyond the reaches of Grigner's coursing stamina. On the other hand, The jewel, gigantic as it was, would not present a hindrance of any mean concern. "'Help me, please. I can make it well worth your while,' pleaded a soft, anguish-strewn voice wafting over Grigner's shoulders as he plucked the dull red emerald from its roots. Turning, Grigner faced the female that had lured him into this bloodbath, but whom had become all but forgotten in the heat of the battle. "'You!' ejaculated the accordion in a pleased tone. I thought that I had seen the last of you at the tavern, but verily I was mistaken. Grigner advanced into the grips of the female's entrancing stare, severing the golden chains that held her captive upon the altar's highly polished face of ornamental limestone. So apparently this is the same girl that was like hammered in the tavern and I guess got got him into this situation in the first place. I don't know. As Grigner lifted the girl from the altar, her arms wound dexterously about his neck, soft and smooth against his harsh exterior. Art thou pleased that we <laughs> Art thou pleased that we have chance to meet once again? Grigner merely voiced a- and sighed grunt, returning the damsel's embrace while he smothered her trim, delicate lips between the coursing protrusions of his reeking maw. <laughs> Oh my god. Let us take leave of this wretched chamber, stated Grigner, as he placed the female upon her feet. She swooned a moment, causing Grigner to give her her support, then regained her stance. Art thou able to find your way through the accursed passages of this castle? Mrifk, every one of the corridors of this damned place are identical. I... I was at one time a slave of Prince Agaphim. His clammy touch sent a sour swill through my belly, but my efforts reaped a harvest. I gained the pig's liking, whereby he allowed me the freedom of the palace. It was through this means that I eventually managed escape of the palace. It was a simple matter to seduce the sentry at the western gate. His trust found him with a dagger thrust in his ribs. The wench stated, Whimsicorically? <laughs> Again, is this a real word? Whimsicorically? Nope. <laughs> Whimsicorically, all right. What were you doing at the tavern whence I discovered you? asked Grigner as he lifted the female through the opening into the mausoleum. I had sought to lay low from the palace's guards as they conducted their search for me. The tavern was seldom frequented by the palace guards, and my identity was unknown to the common soldiers. It was through the disturbance that you caused that the, ta- that the palace guards were attracted to the tavern. I was dragged away shortly after you were escorted to the palace. What are you called by, female? Carthina, daughter of Mincardos, Duke of Barwigo, <laughs> whose lands border along the northwestern fringes of Gorzam. I was paid as homage to Agaphim upon his 38th year, husked the femme. (laughs) And I am called a barbarian, (laughs) grunted Grigner in a disgusted tone. Oh, it's more like, and I am called a barbarian, grunted Grigner in a disgusted tone. I guess he's, like, really bothered by the idea that she would, like, be given as tribute. I don't know. He didn't seem very progressive until now, but... Apparently, that's not something barbarians do. Ay, the ways of our civilization are in many ways warped and distorted. But what is your calling? She queried bustily. <laughs> Grigner of Accordia. Ah, I have heard vaguely of Accordia. It is the hill country to the far east of the Noragolian Empire. I have also heard Agaphim curse your land more than once when his troops were routed in the unaccustomed mountains and gorges, saith she. Aye, my people are not tarnished by petty luxuries and baubles. I mean, the dude is stealing a big jewel, but whatever. They remain fierce and unconquerable in their native claims. After reaching the hidden panel at the head of the stairway, Grigner was at a loss in regard to to its operation. His fiercest heaves were as pebbles against burnished armor. Carthena depressed a small symbol included within the elaborate design upon the panel, where, where open it slowly slid into a cleft in the wall. How did you come to be the victim of those crazed shaman? Quested Grigner as he escorted Carthena through the piles of rummage on the left side of the trap. By Aphim by Aphim's orders I think agafim, By Afim's orders I was thrust into a secluded cell to await his passing of sentence. By some means the priests of Argon acquired a set of keys to the cell. They slew the guard placed over me and abducted me to the chamber in which you chanced to come upon the scoustik the skostic sacrifice. What the fuck does Scoztik mean? Nothing. I've never seen any of these words. He's just making shit up. This is wild. Their hell-spawned cult demands a sacrifice once every three moons upon its full journey through the heavens. They were startled by your unannounced appearance through the fear that you had been sent by Agafim. The prince would surely have submitted to them the most ghastly of tortures if he had ever discovered their unfaithfulness to Sargon, his bastard deity. <laughs> Okay, so they're the priests of Argon. Agaphim worships Sargon. Okay. Many of the partakers of the ritual were high nobles and high trustees of the inner palace. Agaphim's pitiless wrath would have been unparalleled. "'They have no more to fear of Agaphim now,' bellowed Grigner in a deep, mirthful tone, a gleeful smirk upon his face." I have seen that they were delivered from his vengeance. <laughs> Engrossed by Carthina's graceful stride and conversation, Grigner failed to take note of the footfalls rapidly approaching behind him. As he swung aside the arched portal linking the chamber with the corridors beyond, a maddened, blood-lusting screech reverberates from his eardrums. Seemingly utilizing the speed of thought, Grigner swiveled to face his unknown foe. With gaping eyes and widened jaws, Grigner raised his axe above his surly mane. But he was too late. (laughs)
0: Enjoy <laughs> part one of the Eye of Argon, dear listener.
1: Yeah, I hope you guys liked it. Um, Was it sensual? And you know it's funny? I, I don't know exactly where I'm going to cut off, so I'm not going to make any reference here to what point in the story you're at, but <laughs> hey, wow, how about that, huh? You have,
0: ju- you have just finished part one of the Eye of Argon, a left on red tail. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Left Unread not Public by Domain by Left Theater.
0: Unread, just read by Left Unread. Yeah, it's not
1: by, not by. Again, it's not by. as we said we beforehand, didn't. we didn't write this. this is not Once again, not by Left Unread, <laughs> just featuring. Yeah, just just brought to you by, yeah, presented, presented by, by Left uh, Unread Public Domain Theater. Um, yeah. So yeah, there will be more to come. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, let us know if there's any other... Uh, Weird public domain shit that yeah, you. Yeah, some good shit. If you if you can think of any weird public domain shit that you would like to hear, Evan and I put on, uh, you know, semi semi professional amateur productions of. Yeah. Um, I think this is kind of a fun idea, especially for weeks like right now where we both have so much on our plate, like yeah. personally, but also for this show. Um. Yeah. Because there's some really cool shit coming up, so. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, let us know because this stuff's a lot easier. And kind of more fun to to sink our teeth into. Um, yep. Ev, is there anything that you want to close with? Anything that you want to add before we? Well, uh, you
0: did mention before we
1: recorded about UFOs. You want to talk about the aliens? Oh yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just think that it's interesting. Uh, I'm I'm actually planning also after my next episode to do an episode on UFOs, and we'll talk a little bit about the Chinese spy balloons. Um, in that <laughs> episode, <laughs> yeah, the spy balloons. Right? Yeah, I love. I mean, that's just what they're known as in the in the public. Yeah uh yeah, discourse le, I, right now but. I, I would like to i would like to put my personal
0: uh no you can include me right, in up this right I, now i think i'm okay good if you believe that the chinese are spying with a balloon you have a room temperature iq and you should probably present yourself for a lobotomy now because you shouldn't even be allowed to live on your own
1: yeah it's, it's you
0: can't steer a balloon <laughs> they're balloons and China has satellites. Right. If you think they're using balloons as opposed to high def cameras on satellites to spy, you should probably not even be allowed to go grocery shopping for yourself. <laughs>
1: like I mean it would be it would be interesting. So I think that it's pretty you obvious. You can't steer it. No, like, yeah. I mean at the at the very most... okay, so here's the thing. Say those balloons are Chinese. At at most it's what? Just something oh, to oh, take like ambient atmospheric readings weather right so like the, and so, so p- and so what are they not allowed to know what the temperature is like here so here's the best part the, well, yeah. the
0: white house released a statement yesterday saying that some of the balloons were most likely civilian yeah which oh, means so that they the were just thing. shooting down like fucking university weather balloons like like this is like the dumbest fucking mass this is such a 2023 american mass hysteria where you just have a bunch of fucking trigger happy fucking top head uh top top gun goons who are just fucking lighting up
1: like (laughs) university balloons so here's the thing and i was thinking about this today it's it must be a really nerve-wracking time for hot air balloon enthusiasts uh And like i'm just like picturing like a moment where it's like you know some guy out in the midwest where they do that he's they in have, his balloon he's getting ready a and a he hasn't gone up in phone. a while and like yeah. his wife is like "Don, are you sure you're gonna do this he's, <laughs> he's like just, listen here martha we can't just let them rule our lives like this forever i so love he, ballooning and i'm going up in old best and then he like kisses they don't call her.
0: me ballooning bill hayworth <laughs> for nothing right and so, so old as he cuts the last cord he gets a google alert that says that the U.S. has shot down a third balloon, and he's just like, "Well, shit!" <laughs> As he's just sailing into the air yeah.
1: above, like fucking New Mexico or something like that. He's already let all of his sandbags go, and it's yeah. just, it's you know, it's 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 time to time to prove whether you're serious and then about he, the hobby. He
0: hears. A scrambling jet in the distance. <laughs> yeah, fucking
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah just fucking shredded by a fucking Hellcat. um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should no <laughs> Call. Cow- should no helicopter. Just copters. an F thirty five
0: goes an F thirty five goes to shoot him down, but gets the slightest cross
1: breeze and just peels apart at the panels. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway. Uh. So yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think we need to go too far into like the UFO thing, but um just you know wanted to say like it's, it's everybody fucking calm down like there's although there's uh, always- as a
0: precaution i have been wearing my x-files crew neck a mm-hmm. lot just to let the aliens know i approve of their evasion if they're real
1: yeah i mean i, I think most people take Thinking stock probing. in the idea that like if well of course you'd let them probe you I, I i wouldn't say no no think of i mean what do you want to be the one guy at the party who said no to getting probed yeah you know I'm I mean? all just like rubbing my,
0: my butt like up against them, you know what I mean? <laughs> Hoping that they probe me. You guys
1: can look inside me Ooh, if you want me. to. You I can put anything in me.
0: I didn't see you there,
1: Mr. Alien. <laughs> What's that in your hand? I didn't expect a little green man <laughs> oh. to have such a big I don't know, whatever. So big green hand. Yeah, little green man <laughs> with a big green hand. <laughs> little um, green man with a big green hand. Now cough. Um, it's all right for you, so, Mr. Gray. So, if it's aliens, it will probably save us from ourselves because... Yeah, know. they're probably just coming down here and be like, alright. Y'all are... Can you imagine? That would like, actually be awesome. So, you know how, like, in... They're like Vulcans. <laughs> there's, like, this, like, running thing. No, because I feel like Vulcans wouldn't work. They're like Vulcans, they're benevolent, but they're like, okay, we have to... <laughs> We have to declare war on them because war is their oh, the only language war. they know. And so – but so here's the thing. Their end goal is to make us – you know, resolve our differences and become a peaceful yeah. utopia. But they understand that like the only language that we speak as a species is like aggression and violence. So yeah. rather than like come down and like petition us and like have us like just not understand it, they like declare war on us, but on their end it's like a flower war from the Aztecs and like they know yeah. that they're not fighting to conquer the planet. They're like doing just enough to make us scared so that they that we think they are. And then yeah. they bring peace to the planet that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like a benevolent intentioned war. Well I also think it's
0: funny, like so, like if this were to be aliens and the UFOs, and we're just shooting them down on site, on site with these aliens. Yeah, it reminds me of so, like Star Trek: First Contact. It has, uh, it shows the the time when Vulcans make first contact with uh, with humans. Yeah, which is after like a big world war, and then there's an episode of Star Trek: Enterprise, where it's a parallel universe where humans are called like Terrans, and they're like insanely bloodthirsty. And it shows that scene from First Contact where the Vulcan just puts up his hands for like the live long and prosper thing, yeah. and a human just walks up and just blows him away with a shotgun. <laughs> oh my god! And I'm just thinking like that's like exactly what we'd be doing like the a- aliens coming down to say hi, and we're just like fucking scrambling jets and blowing them out of the sky. Yeah. Immediately.
1: Yeah, man, it would be it would be something. I think there's I think there's some really cool movie ideas there though, you know. Yeah. You know what would be a cool movie idea? It would be like you know, the aliens land <clears throat> and they're like there's like ground war, right? There's like an invasion, we're fighting the aliens. And it would be a cool the movie to show like from the center of the earth. Well it'd be a cool movie would be like yeah. A cool <laughs> movie would be like to show like when they reach like Sinaloa. You know what yeah. I mean? And like <laughs> what happens when like the Sinaloa cartel goes up against fucking yeah. Grays. I just think when that'd go, be a hell of a
0: movie. They end up at some like Colombian conflict and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, what they call it, Colombian folk art. What that's what know. they call like uh like the Colombian like a uh, narco terrorism when they just like mutilate bodies and leave them. Oh, put just in certain ways. Sure, Colombian folk art.
1: Yeah,
0: It's what the DEA called it.
1: Interesting, fucking DEA. Anyway, um, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show today, and this was kind of a cool departure for us, something we haven't really done before. Nope. But uh, yeah, we're interested in doing some more interesting kind of dramatic shit so let us know and uh i don't know we'll see you soon let us know if you like it yeah don't tell us if you don't though because all my feelings will be hurt yeah you can tell me (laughs) no i'm just kidding you can tell me too i won't give a shit and All right, then guys. I'll tell Kim. Yeah, tell Evan you don't don't worry. He always lets me down easy. <laughs> Yo, they think you're fucking stupid as shit. Dude. Yo, dude. Yo, dude, you suck and they think you're stupid. Yo, your this shit guy sucks,
0: said dude. you got you sound like a fart. Yo, this <laughs> he dude said Z- you sound like Bing. a fart, bro.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Alright, man. You guys have a great day. We'll talk to you later. Bye.